Welcome to Frantically Speaking's podcast, Beyond Hard Skills. I'm your host, Radeep, and here's where we discuss what it takes to make it in your career beyond degrees, technical skills, and hard work. Let's get started. In today's episode, we're joined by Carolina. Carolina is a graduate from a hospitality business school, and after working there for a few years, she decided to pivot into human capital management. And that's exactly what we're going to be discussing today. How to pass leadership assessments and how do we use organizational psychology to get ahead in the workspace. I hope you enjoy and get some value out of this. I hope you enjoy and get some value out of this. Let's get started. Hey, Carolina, thank you so much for doing this podcast. It's a pleasure having you. While we get started, I would like all of the people listening to this to know a little bit about your story. So you're in the field of learning and development. You've told me a lot of things and I would love the audience to know how do you get into this space? What is your purpose behind it? And what are your future plans within the learning and development segment for working professionals? Sure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so originally I started out in hospitality a long ways ago. I was having a great time, you know, being part of the F&B uh, departments. I was doing a lot of sales and events. I had the pleasure of opening a hotel. Um, I worked all over Europe, but as I was working in hospitality, I realized I was way more passionate about customer, um, instead of customer development, more into the employee satisfaction and development and uh, hospitality and really the service industry struck me as an industry in which employees were kind of the forgotten asset and resource. Um, and so many employees, you know, it's their first job or they're not motivated to be there. And I started to get really interested in how do you motivate someone who's not motivated to be at work and and so on and so forth. And how can we develop uh, individuals on their career journeys in hospitality? And that's what kind of pushed me into the space. Um, and I did my master's in learning and development at New York University. I had the pleasure of working as a career development coach. I've worked with a lot of different populations. I've worked with PhD students transferring into from academia into industry. I've worked with international students navigating U.S. Uh, business culture, all sorts of uh, cases, as I want to say, as I want to call it. Um, and I eventually found my way into the consulting space. Um, I'm working now at Mercer as a talent strategy consultant, um, and I've worked with uh, freelance for a lot of other different clients. I've worked with startups. I've worked with um, other big consulting companies like Corn Ferry. I've worked with other boutique consultancies like Contemporary Leadership Advisors. And yeah, very passionate about this um, leadership development, career development, and in general, workforce strategy. So yeah. Fantastic. I think one thing I just want to point out from from your journey is that is with regard to your master's, right? You mentioned you worked in hospitality first and then you realized what you like and then did a master's. Is, is that correct? That's right. right? Yeah. What I've seen a lot of people do, especially people who are just graduating from college, which is a bachelor's degree, they directly jump into a master's or an MBA. That's right. That's and right. I have always, always with, with very few exceptions, seen them fall behind in their careers. Absolutely. Because you've not worked, you you don't know 
what you like, what you don't like, and where your expertise really lies. It's very different from academia. So, so I'm very glad you pointed that out. And I, I think that's always a good idea to work for a year, two years, how many, a few years before you dive into master's is a fantastic idea. I'm glad you mentioned that. I know I'll ask you as the the way forward that when you before you started working at Mercer when you were freelancing, I'm sure freelancing is something that you will continue moonlighting on. That's something that never loved anybody, right? So when companies and startups approach you, could you give us a sense of what type of companies generally approach you and what is the requirement from a learning and development freelancer? Sure. So a lot of um, startups, particularly that I've worked with, have been focused on actually develop uh, program development. So I would develop um, their learning and strategy um, moving forward. I've worked with companies that are developing their own IP to then sell it to other uh, companies and other startups. So essentially what we see a lot of the time is companies, um, particularly companies, for instance, manufacturing companies or companies where generally we don't see a lot of emphasis on learning and development because maybe it's blue collar work or maybe like we said it's service industries in which that is just not prioritized um, I think the learning and development space is so saturated by executive development that a lot of the high POs or other um, uh, you know, people and careers and employees are kind of forgotten. So we work with um, a lot of sort of um, different approaches to talent and development, for instance, creating more bite-sized, more mobile learning and development strategies, um, leveraging a lot of technology like app building um, and, and different platforms to create different ways in which employees can develop their soft skill in ways that employers could future-proof their business in ways then we can create a sort of talent pathways for individuals. Let's take an example, for instance, um, you know, a, a small hotel chain, you know, they hire someone as a server. How can we then take that server and develop her or his skills to move forward into managerial roles and so on and so forth? Got it, got it, got it. Fantastic. So it, it's more about that people have learned something technically and you're showing them how to do it in the real world with better soft skills. That That's essentially what, what it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. That's definitely a part of it too, yeah. Okay, okay, fantastic. And when it comes to your current job at Mercer, what, is, it this, is it a similar thing that you're doing? Is it different from freelancing? Why do you leave freelancing and choose to do a, a job in this space? Yeah, so I was, for personal reasons, looking just for more structure in my career and professional life. I'm definitely by no means an expert, you know, a senior expert. Um, so I'm still sort of learning best practices. And, and that's why I wanted to kind of immerse myself more into a, a structured sort of bigger corporation at this point in my career. Um, it's definitely different. I mean, with freelancing, you have to really be self-motivated and, uh, you know, very scrappy and resourceful whereas um obviously in a larger setting it's more um you know organized and definitely more clear in terms of what you're doing um and obviously you can focus more on a niche um so yeah for instance like leadership assessment at mercer is is a is a great um aspect that i get to work with and and have a lot of different touch points with all sorts of different clients from really large corporations to smaller medium enterprises which is something that i didn't have the opportunity to do in my freelance work 
Yeah, I think a lot. So a lot of freelancers in general have been following this trend. The entire gig economy took a big boom, and then yeah. COVID even gave it a bigger boost forward and everything. But then a lot of people started realizing that you know, even though I can earn more money and I have more flexibility, people are going back to that structured way of working, at least in their early in their careers, right? So that they can, as you said, master your skill a lot more and then do something in a more organized manner as well. And uh, for freelancers in general, I've noticed this this trend taking place. You spoke a little bit about leadership assessment, and I know we spoke about that earlier in our initial conversation as well. I would love to dive into that and understand with your expertise, and you obviously talk to a lot of people who tend to take decisions whether someone should move on to a leadership role, stay there, and what positions to fit them in. What is that process like? And for somebody listening who's currently at an execution role, what all does they have to keep in mind to move ahead and pass this leadership assessment? Sure. So just a word on leadership assessments. There's so many different ones out there. Um, a lot of them are based on, obviously, organizational psychology, psychology in general. Um, a lot of them, for instance, the more popular ones like Hogan assessments, they're really um, tools to identify and develop talented leaders. And they aren't only used for assessing a certain individual. They're used for employee engagement. They're used for you know driving better business results and so on. Um, and a lot of them are focused on what is called an organizational trait theory. So kind of understanding what is your personality or who you are characteristically as a person. Um, for instance, the bigger the bigger uh, leadership assessments, for instance, like Hogan, um, they identify personality in two ways. So identity and reputation. So identity is kind of your personality from the inside. So how you see yourself and then reputation is how people see you from from the outside. And for a lot of people, there is a gap between, you know, who they think they are and how other people perceive them. Um, and that kind of gap corrodes your relationships and your ability to be a leader. Um, so personality assessment, leadership assessments, they're really there to um, kind of understand that gap and help you find your strengths, your weaknesses. And Really, it's also about how your company defines leadership or soft skill or what is necessary. So a lot of these um, focus on um, traits like integrity, like judgment, your competence, vision. So these are all elements and traits. Um, you know, you have to understand what is aligned with your company goals. So, for instance, if you're a medical company where or maybe a hospital setting, teamwork is a really huge element of, you know, um, being a leader or working in uh, leveraging those soft skills as a development. So really understanding what your company needs and looks for in a leader is integral into understanding what they might be assessing you in leadership assessments. For instance, if in your role you're working in a really dynamic environment, maybe a startup and you have to make a lot of quick dynamic decisions, your ability to think on your feet, like how quickly can you make decisions? Maybe that's an integral element or maybe in a company where um, you're working with a really huge, you know, fast moving consumer good company like Unilever or, you know, what have you, you have to have a lot of vision and understanding long term goals. And how can you sort of take apart a lot of different criteria or elements and, and work that into your um, the way you work? So 
with leadership assessment to do to do well and to um, sort of thrive as a leader or, you know, just in general as a specialist, really the bottom line is knowing what is the soft skills that your company is looking for and what might they assess you on. So let's say if the soft skill is what you mentioned, right, in terms of long-term thinking for FMCG, how would you go about assessing it? Is Are they written tests? Are they interviews? How does the, what is the assessment process that someone should be prepared for? Sure. So usually with um, us personality and leadership assessments, you will take a series of questions and tests. A lot of them are sort of multiple answer questions or context, hypothetical situations. Obviously with technology and depending who, um, what kind of leadership assessment you're working with there could be different settings um definitely there's a debrief with a coach i mean it doesn't just stand alone as just a test um so it's also sometimes coaches and people who do leadership assessments are asked to come into the company and take a 360 for instance feedback evaluation so people who are working with you who are working for you who are your bosses and other stakeholders might take a little survey or bring their input on who you are um, as an individual and as a leader and based on all of these different elements they'll find certain gaps or just come to a better understanding of who you are as a person um and and in what areas do you thrive in which areas do you not succeed and so taking the example of vision as you mentioned they might be asking you know your subordinates or your team members you know how well does this person take decisions in the long term can you give me an example of a time where they had to, you know, think of um, or project a long-term plan for something. Was it successful? Was it not successful? Um, and based on sort of qualitative and quantitative data, um, they'll come up with, you know, areas in which you might, you know, be successful or need more work in. Understood. And if I know, I know it varies from situation to situation. But if we were to ask you this, right, that because most of the people who tend to watch our content in general are people who are working in technical fields so let's say if you were to pick a, a software company mm -hmm. and if someone who's a developer or an engineer is watching this what do they have to keep in mind to if let's say they've been working as an engineer for about six seven years now and they want to move up to a managerial role sure. what, what should they keep in mind and what skills should they look at developing that would help them pass this leadership assessment Definitely. So um, if you're someone who is in a very, very technical um, area, the more you are doing and the more you grow in your role, the less you're taken from specialist roles to hard skills and the more you're submerged into soft skill sort of deep dive. So you'll be working less with the actual software or the actual hardware or what have you and more working with people who are working with those technical things. So obviously those hard skills are important, but in this moment, your ability to manage people is way more important. So thinking about how would I lead a team if I was my boss, what would I want? Would I want someone who is, you know, very focused on conflict resolution? Am I someone who's a good team player, understanding what role I take in a team uh, and, you know, leveraging organizational psychology to kind of take those things apart and look deeper into it is also great. And I can get into that in a second. Um, but understanding a little bit of what would I want in a manager? Would I want someone who is, you know, 
able to talk very informally with me? Is Do I need someone who needs to be more formal? Also understanding company structure, company strategy, the context we're in is very, very important. So if you're an engineer, let's say in a, um, in a startup, you know, and you'd want to move forward in a managerial role, you might need to have more flexibility in terms of how you're developing a more generalist approach and, you know, being part of a team versus if you're in a larger company, larger context, you want to specialize a little bit more and you're looking at more formal um, uh, reporting structures. So you might want to develop, you know, conflict resolution um, skills in that place, whereas in, in startups, you might want, want to work on your ability to be more approachable, your ability to understand the business as a whole. You might want to take a little intro to finance class, or you might want to take a little, you know, deeper dive into how the business works. So um, with that being said, again, it depends on context so much, but I would say that focusing on, you know, leadership as as we take it so your integrity your your competence your vision your ability to lead your ability to um, make decisions on a smaller data pool your ability to maybe be more intuitive is something that you could develop definitely your ability to lead a team is so key so everything from communication um, as we said conflict resolution um, you know, everything uh, in terms of working with other people, understanding personalities, understanding psychology, um, emotional intelligence, that's all very, very, very important. I love that. I think if I were to just summarize it in terms of what you're saying, these are very tangible points, right? So if you want to pass a leadership assessment or just want to increase your chances of moving on, moving upwards, you first start by asking yourself what I absolutely loved is ask yourself what type of manager would you like to have? And that clearly puts you in a very empathetic state from the get-go. Second is, loved it again, understand the vision of your company because the vision of a a 10,000-person corporate would be very different than a 100-person startup. Right, that's fantastic. And fourth and fifth is learning communication skills, conflict management. And I think there's a sixth point you mentioned about team management in general, right? So any sort of courses, any books that you can read within this space will help you out. Right? Okay. Is there anything you want to add away or uh, is, that, is that a correct summary? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, more than anything at this point, I'm seeing a lot of trends and companies really focused on team development and leveraging organizational psychology in team development. So getting to know a little bit about, you know, group psychology would take you so far. For instance, a very popular popular um, psychological theory called groupthink theory, which is the phenomenon where group members kind of, you know, think one way because, um, you know, there's conformity over critical thinking and it potentially leads to flawed decision making. If you're familiar with these aspects of, you know, organizational psychology, that can contribute tremendously to your ability to lead a team. Because if you know groupthink theory, then you'll know that, oh, how can I prioritize softer voices to be heard? How can I make sure every single team member gets um, that psychological safety in expressing what they feel so that we can make a better decision as a team. So kind of um, leveraging your hard skill. If you're someone who's very analytical, someone who likes to look at science and likes to look at facts and you're intimidated by soft skill development, use your skill as someone who's very, very science backed into diving into psychology. Take a look at theories. Take a look at what aspects of group psychology can influence us. You know, you could get familiar with, for instance, um, 
the Tuckman stages of group development, which is describing um, the four stages of forming, norming, performing, and how team like this life cycle of team goes. You could look at, you know, uh, Belbin's uh, team role theory or social identity theory or diversity theories. There's so many different aspects that could help you become a more scientifically better team leader. Fantastic. Could we dive, that may be very curious, could we dive a little deeper into the first theory you mentioned, which is the forming, norming, could you elaborate a little more on what that theory is and what it means? Sure. So Tuckman's theory of, um, of uh, oh, excuse me, of development is really about understanding the different sort of stages that a team goes through. So there's the first stage of forming, then there's stage of storming, then there's norming, and the last one is performing. So it's really understanding about where you are as a team. When a first, when a team first gets together, it's when the team forms. So when your team is in this stage, you have to prioritize their ability to integrate developing psychological safety, your ability to get to know each other. If you're working in a cross-cultural team, understanding what elements are at play. Is it language? Is it authority distance? Um, and, you know, if there's diversity in the team, how can we make sure that we're leveraging everyone's diversity? So that's the storming phase. Sorry, the forming phase. The storming phase is when the first sort of conflicts arise in a team and understanding sort of um, what are the elements that could be um, sort of uh, interesting in how a our team will work. Is there someone who has more authority? Is there someone who has more seniority? Is there, you know, a conflict that arises based on culture or communication? Um, and it's a really about resolving those those elements. So then there's norming, which is that element of how can we set up norms in our team to make sure that we thrive? Is there going to be a code of conduct? Is Are we going to decide on certain rules that we're going to partake in? in our team and then performing is that final stage um of you know finally after we integrate all these elements then we can perform as a team so that's that's just part of it but um very, very short summary but definitely i encourage everyone to sort of look into their own it's a really really widespread um sort of group development theory um that you could easily find resources on online for sure um and yeah another one that i really highly recommend is uh belbin's uh role, team role theory so it it's um dr belbin um identified nine sort of trait and characteristics um to distinguish effective leaders from non-leaders and it kind of suggests that individuals possess um qualities that predispose them to leadership roles and so there's for instance drive self-confidence integrity and decisiveness um and in in that it leads us to sort of understanding what roles we could adapt naturally in teams so someone who I, if I recall correctly, there's coordinator, there's shaper, there's team worker, there's implementer, there's specialist. So there's all sorts of roles individuals take in teams and knowing who takes on which and how best we can assign different tasks is also also key. I love that. I love. I think it's, for someone who wants to understand these assessments, they can literally just Google this and go and check out what are the do's and don'ts. And Absolutely. That's fantastic. I, I didn't know this existed, so I'm glad I'm learning that. Lovely. There is something that I do want to address. One of your main specialties is organizational psychology. Which I, um, that always fascinates me. And I want to 
I, I would like it if you can tell us a little bit about what that is um, and how does it really help an organization thrive and help the people thrive a lot more. Sure. So organizational psychology is just a really fancy word for uh, psychology um, that is um, basically based in the way businesses work. Um, so it's 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 a it it is a scientific sort of um, it's basically scientifically based solutions to human problems in work and organizational settings. So it focuses on that lens of aspects of, um, you know, understanding how we can optimize our effectiveness, our health, our well-being in as individuals and as organizations. How can we get better business results? How can we feel better at work using science? Got, got it, got it. And is there any sort of example any sort of example that you can give over there which helps highlight how, what type of scientific methods are used to develop yeah sure so it integrates a lot of different aspects for instance we can look at some leadership theories if we're talking about leadership investment in organizational psychology so there's what i mentioned earlier trait theory so that focuses on identifying you know innate characteristics that make someone a good leader and all of these you know scientific theories have you know limitations and invalidations for instance trait theory is is someone is something that um, can can be limited because it, it takes it doesn't take in like context and situational leadership. Then we have things like transformational and transactional leadership that I think a lot of people are more familiar with. That's the more pop culture sort of leadership uh, psychology. Um, for instance, centering on how leaders you know inspire and motivate their followers. That's transformational leaders. And there's transactional leadership, which is you know how we use the exchange of rewards and punishment to achieve compliance from our followers. There's servant leadership, which is focusing on you know leaders that serve their uh, their followers and foster a collaborative environment. So there's different ways in which we can leverage psychology to become a good leader. Um, for instance, there's the path goal theory, which suggests that leaders clarify paths to goal and help remove obstacles. So the way leaders work and the way we can become a leader is rooted in these psychological, scientific, um, you know, studies and backgrounds. And all of these, um, all of these theories are, are based on scientific, you know, studies on, you know, looking at, you know, a pool of leaders and what makes them more effective. And obviously, as with any psychology, understanding you know, the language and the verbiage used, for instance, what is an effective leader to you is an effective leader is different of an effective leader is to me. So obviously context and situations all, um, you know, integrate and influence this. So um, that's just one way in which organizational psychology can, can you know, influence us in, at work. That's amazing. I think that's more than one way, but that, that's fantastic. <laughs> Perfect. I want to take a complete left turn over here and talk about about mentorship, and I that's one area I feel that was spoken about a lot about five six years ago when people like Ty Lopez and really started blowing up on YouTube, and then again it seemed to have gone down. But I feel that mentorship is something that people, a lot of people don't focus on, and at least nowadays don't see too much value in. And if they get one, it's good. But if they don't get one, it's not good, and they just leave it. So what have, what has your experience been with mentorship? Is this something that, you, have you ever had a professional mentor? Has it helped you out? Have you seen people who are at a good leadership position because of mentors? Or 
you think the other way and you feel that hey you know what mentors is good but it's not that important to have what are your thoughts yeah i think mentorship is fantastic and i've been so influenced by really incredible individuals who i aspired to who i've connected with that were able to um help me in my career and inspired me and i think mentorship really is something that's so natural in the way we operate i mean we have mentorship in our family we have mentorship in informal ways with our friends so why not integrate that in work as well um so i'm a huge fan of mentorship i mean i i myself try to do as much as possible to work with people in my community and and help them and and pay it forward and as well as you know connecting with individuals that that are again inspirational to me and who I really look up to and I've gained so so much from individuals like that so I'm a huge fan of it um and yeah I I would say that in my own journey and my own experience that's the way that I've developed because with mentorship you can really kind of have that mirror in front of you and say this person is in the place that I would want to be how can I get there and the more you can kind of look at self assessment through that mirror the the better you can be at identifying the areas in which you can work on yourself so it's a huge um a sort of tool in self assessment you reflect on your current skill set you identify areas that they are good at and how how can i get there if you know i i see that we both have the same you know university degree and this person is obviously 20 years more into their career what steps did they take did they take a certain course did they work with a coach did they you know um do any specific additional training did they you know really work on networking like what is it that puts them in that place and the more you can kind of copy and emulate what they did the closer you can become to where they are. Um, so absolutely a huge fan of, of mentorship. And the more you can seek feedback from those mentors and, you know, continuously learn based on their experience, their failures, and obviously the practical aspects of mentorship of, you know, uh, the more you develop a friendship and a relationship with them, understanding if you could leverage their network or how you could work together, how you could you know, collaborate, but also not forgetting it's a two-way street. So what could you bring to your mentor that you could do reverse mentorship of? Is there, you know, hard skills that you're really great at that you could contribute to them? Or, you know, are you, um, you know, do you have a network at a particular university or with a particular group that might be of essence to them and so on? So not forgetting with any relationship that it's a two-way street, um, I think is really important as well. Got it. Fantastic. My final question to you is this, that since we are into communications training and development, what according to you, communication is a wide topic. So what according to you is the most important communication trait to have? In, not, not for you in particular, but for any working professional looking to grow basis your experience. Sure. I think really the bottom, and this is something that I've learned through coaching as well, really the fundamental principle, in my opinion, in communication is listening. I think active listening and listening in general is if you can master the skill of listening, 
uh, and it's so overlooked, the, you can become a better communicator. A lot of people, when they learn or focus on their own development as a communicator, focus on diction and how I can use more sophisticated words or how I can find confidence in public speaking. But if you, uh, as a bottom line, you, you might be publicly speaking, but every day you're listening, every day you're working with one person or a team. And if you can really lean into understanding how to become a better listener, how can we listen to what there's someone saying, what someone's not saying? What body language are they using? Um, how can I learn about, you know, how how to pick out what is the most important and can I learn what can I learn from psychology that can make me a better listener when someone says something first or something last what does that mean if someone has a different tone in their voice what does that mean listening to it can really help you kind of dive into what you're receiving and when you understand what it is that you're receiving um, in a conversation the more you can understand what it is that you have to give especially if you're in a leadership position or someone who is a decision maker being able to actively listen will give you so much more information and will equip you in in a way that you will know what to say when to say it when not to say something so absolutely leaning into listening i think is one of the biggest um things you could do as a communicator i'm so glad you said that so one of my very first high profile clients but back when we started about four, more than a little less than five years ago uh, was a partner at one of the one of the big four finance companies. Right? So he's been working there for about 20 years or so. And he's tried a lot of communication training programs, nothing has worked. And then finally he came here and because of all that data that he had, we could understand, okay, what's not working? Because you, you seem pretty eloquent, you seem pretty confident what, what's really going wrong. And it was this other side of communication that's largely left ignored. Absolutely. And the reason for that is, is what I feel is that we tend to take listening for granted. That oh I I'm just I'm just listening right it's the other person's fault if the message is not coming clearly to me but it's not like that we have to take our time to understand active listening as you mentioned and that automatically just even if we are not the most confident or eloquent speakers it makes us a 10x better communicator just understand I'm so glad you mentioned mm -hmm. fantastic. I think that's all the questions that I have for you. I feel this was quite value-packed. I have a lot of small, small things that I want to cut off and show people uh, who are struggling in that particular phase of getting promoted and not getting promoted. Any final things that you would like to add? Anything that you would like to talk about that you're doing right now? The floor is yours. Please feel free. Absolutely. I just wanted to say that, you know, I, I will be continuing at the forefront of talent development with, with different companies. And absolutely, many of the listeners want to connect with me um, and, and, you know, connect and, and work together. Um, I'm always happy to collaborate with um, individuals who are looking to develop their soft skills. And absolutely, please feel free to link in with me on LinkedIn and anywhere else um, connect. And I'm happy so happy to to chat and, and potentially work together so fantastic perfect we'll have carolina's descriptions linked in she has her own website as well it'll all be linked below so do check her out and if there's anything you'll want to get in touch with especially with regard to lnd she's the right person please go for it carolina thank you so much for doing this it was a pleasure i hope you enjoyed as much as i did I know you didn't learn anything, but I learned a lot. Certainly. So <laughs> I'm glad about that as well. And I'm sure the listeners will. Thank you so much for doing this. And thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It was an absolute delight. Thank you again. 
thank you so much for being with us to the end. If you found this useful, do share it with someone who might benefit from it. And if you're looking for more communication and soft skill tips, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Lastly, if you would like a step-by-step process to improve upon your communication skills to accelerate your career growth, you can go on our website and book a free communication consultation call with me. Thank you for joining us and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.